Hello, I'm Nick McGrath and welcome to CardiCast, a glam podcast brought to you by New Cardigan. Today I'm chatting with Rebecca Louise Clark, who's a writer and curator of the Mother Archive Project and a Monash University PhD candidate and research associate at Museums Victoria. How are you today, Rebecca? I'm great. Good <laughs> you, Nick. I'm Lovely. just hearing my bio. I sound like I'm doing way too much. <laughs> You're doing a lot. You're, you really are. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you today because we've already had a really interesting chat before we did this recording today and I'm thinking yeah, we've absolutely. got a lot to talk about. So the people that I'm reaching out to, often I know them, you know, fairly well, but I actually reached out to you because I, I know that we we're connected via LinkedIn and I was really intrigued by all of the amazing things that you're doing. And I just wanted to, you know, ask you more about that, I guess. So I'll maybe start by asking, can you just sort of explain to our listeners what the Mother Archive Project is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the Mother Archive, um, which I'm calling, it's been through many names, but at the moment we're calling it Mother Stuff. And it's a curatorial study that looks at mother-related museum collections and exhibitions. So my research basically involves case studies of mother-related museum collections at Museums Victoria and also overseas museum collections, including the Museum of Motherhood in the US, based in Florida. And as well as kind of looking at those collections, I'm creating my own artworks. And ultimately, I'd love to make a digital museum about motherhood. That's that's the ultimate goal of this project, finding the funding and the means. We'll see how that goes, <laughs> of course. That's always an interesting task in our sector, but do you think that there's a real, you know, have you been encouraged by the conversations you've had so far and the connections? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, look, Mothers in Museums has been such a blind spot, it seems, um, particularly in Australia. So the only real example I've found of a museum that dedicates itself exclusively to motherhood has been in the US, in Florida. And yeah, I mean, I'm finding a lot of uh, collection material that relates to motherhood, but really it hasn't been kind of compiled in a way that really explores mothering. Yeah, there is definitely a need out there. And particularly because I'm looking at it in terms of uh, a digital archive and what new technology can do for us in terms of museum representation, I think that kind of bringing uh, motherhood together with the kind of digital it is maybe an unexpected relationship I'm bringing together with those two aspects. Yeah, it is interesting, actually. But I also think, I think that a digital archive makes sense because it might make, like you were saying, there's the, you've been working with the Museum of Motherhood um, in the US. You're, you're currently doing an online resident, is that right? A residence? Yeah, yeah, uh, a virtual residency. The, the initial plan was to go over there, but of course, you know, that's not going to happen, is it, at the moment? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so doing a, a virtual residency uh, with the founder of the Museum of Motherhood, Martha Joy Rose, who's a, uh, she's a fantastic, creative, inspirational person. She, she's actually a bit of a superstar punk rocker, which I didn't <laughs> know, and uh, she's in a band called Housewives on Prozac which I, I just love the name of that band. That's a great name. That is a great band name. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, you know, she's she's an amazing woman. She's done a lot in her career. Um, she was heavily involved in the New York art scene. You know, she's got a wealth of experience. So, uh, look, this residency, we, we spoke for the first time, um, you know, we did an interview last week and we said, look, we need at least nine months to explore <laughs> this stuff here. You know, she's just got such a wealth of knowledge. And so she created the Museum of Motherhood and it's gone through different kind of forms. So it was kind of a pop-up museum for a while. 
that's kind of been housed in different spaces. At the moment, it's um, based in Florida. It's an amazing collection. So that's a physical experience when you go to the, is that right? Is the Museum of Motherhood like a physical place? But that's right. Yeah. At the moment, by appointment, you can go and see the collection and they have, they do hold exhibitions at that space and um, well, all over the US, they kind of have pop-up exhibitions. And I think that I really like the idea of like a digital archive, because I think, like you said, if there's a gap in the sector where mothering and mother kind of stories they do exist in collections, but they haven't been curated, you know, made sort of maybe accessible or easily accessible, even perhaps exhibited. I'm not sure. But, you know, mother, mothering is a universal experience. Personally, I, I have made a decision. I don't want to be a mum, but I've got a mum and I know lots of mums. So everyone, you know, it's something that we all connect with, I think, in some way. Yeah, um, we we all have our own experiences and our own feelings about motherhood and I mean, perhaps it is because it, you know, it is such a loaded topic in a way. It can be triggering for many people. It can bring up trauma. I have been told, you know, and my colleagues have been told, my colleagues who've been looking at maternal studies, we've both been told that the topic is challenging for many people. And for some people, it's too much, you know, to think about. So, I mean, that that could be an aspect of why it's remaining so hidden. Mm, it's really interesting. I, you know, this is has this come out of your PhD research? Is that correct? From your PhD yeah, at Monash? That's right. I'm really lucky to be working with one of my supervisors is Carla Pasco Leahy, who's done um, extensive work on the history of motherhood in Australia, and she's interviewing mothers, Australian mothers. And so she's compiling an oral history on motherhood, and that's going into the Museum's Victoria collection. So it's been great just kind of having her on board to to support and to kind of remind me that what I'm doing, you know, is relevant and is interesting because, you know, I think, yeah, as I said, motherhood is, it's a tricky topic to look at, you know. I think either some people think that maybe, look, it's it's not sexy, it's boring. I, f- I feel that some people feel, well, it's it's boring. And I think that's mainly because there's this misunderstanding that because it's everywhere, maybe every mother's experience is the same which is certainly not the case. So I'm making the argument in my PhD thesis of, well, actually, no, you know, our experiences do vary. And according to time, place, you know, era, and really it's weird that we have not really looked at the subjectivity, you know, the experience of motherhood in mainstream culture in a real way. You know, what's strange before I thought of interviewing you and, and was looking at what you've been doing. And then when I had a conversation with you, I hadn't realized how absent it is and it really I've been racking my brains it is really absent in our sec in mm. in the glam sector I think and probably broadly as well which is so strange because it is something that most people go through and they you know either if they're not a mother they they have a mother or like you said it is it can be triggering for some people and it can be traumatic um a subject matter, but why are we why yeah. are we not exploring it and you know it's just so maybe strange. Maybe it's too big. You know, when I told one of my supervisors, because I was kind of weighing up the idea and wondering, you know, which aspect of motherhood to explore and, you know, just kind of um, throwing out some ideas. And one of my supervisors said, wow, it's so big. It's like trying to study the air. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's It's massive. Yeah, it's it's pretty big. Initially, you know, my approach was, okay, it was quite a conservative approach in, okay, let's look at early motherhood. Let's look at matrescence. 
And I know that has been a focus for Carla Pascoe-Lehi. She's looked at that transformation of becoming a mother, which is incredibly interesting. But my projects began when my child was two and now my child's five, nearing six. And wow, I'm just like, well, when does motherhood end? You know, how can we, how can we, um, how can we put a cap on this thing? You know, it's, and it changes. It's always changing. And, you know, I, I interviewed a 97-year-old woman, my mother-in-law on the phone the other day oh look our experiences are so incredibly different I can't even imagine she tries to describe to me what it was like but we're living in such different times you know it just feels like for her it was like well wow you've had seven children okay let's start with the birth of them mm. <laughs> let's look at, okay the toddler years uh oh okay and now there's this whole other time of when they were adults and and now how is your relationship with them now it's um there are so many stages involved and uh, my experience has been just when I feel like I know what to expect or I've nailed it or I'm slipping into a groove, no, nah, forget it. <laughs> it's all going to change tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. Like that, I guess that leads me on to um, the people that you're interviewing, you know, are you focusing more on interviewing people in Australia or are you looking at experiences of motherhood overseas as well in other cultures? Well, I think, um, you know, through this process of trying to narrow it down and thinking about, oh, should I focus on a particular era or aspect? I think to me, what's more interesting is perhaps a curatorial point of view. So looking at, well, why is it we're not seeing mothers in museums? And perhaps that has something to do with kind of the language that's being used in museum practice, um, exhibition display, you know, um, how we're archiving, how we're archiving collection material. So really, I guess, getting into the nitty gritty of what's underpinning a lot of museum practice. So I guess, you know, in many ways, it's provocative and challenging to museum practice. Mm, it's really interesting. Like, I'm not sure if I've discussed this with you before, but um, have you heard about the Invisible Farmer Project, which was Liza Dale Hallett's? Yes, um, yes. Yeah. I, I actually worked with her as an intern years ago, um, yeah, she's doing some fascinating work. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Like that was a real eye opener as well, where, we, where we're sort of looking at collections like of, you know, farming and rural Australia, but realising that women were kind of invisible in that and women were described as, you know, the farmer's wife rather than a farmer themselves. I always found crazy, that really isn't crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? Yeah. But it's it's strange that it's taken where like 2020, 2021, it's taking oh, today's. I know. Are we there yet? To realize this, <laughs> <laughs> to catch up with, you know, it's such a. For some, it's crazy. For, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, absolutely crazy. But it's really important work that you're doing and what, you know, Liza Dale Hallett and many other academics and curators are doing, mm. starting to sort of shine a light on this and, you know, making people aware. Like I'm found, I was so excited to hear that in London that there's a vagina museum and like yes, you know yes. that, that had never been considered before as mm. a, but it's mm. just we're just realizing that it's like new territory I guess for the the sector but it's exciting I think do you find it exciting do you get lots of great feedback about yeah, the work that we're doing I, I feel excited by it because particularly you know when I think about well I guess the traditional view of the museum is to many people, it's kind of this place that houses objects, important objects, you know, and just thinking about, well, okay, what would these important objects be in terms of motherhood? That's been a really interesting journey. So, I mean, I guess I've come to the conclusion that many of these objects that I consider important to my mothering 
would not really get through the kind of significance framework that, you know, <laughs> is required of a lot of these objects. You know, uh, I can't really argue that a lot of these objects that have been important to my mothering have kind of national significance and, you know, they're significant to me. So I think in this kind of museum, affect plays a big role and emotional response and individual stories play a big role. Yeah, definitely. I think museums are still kind of grappling with the idea of digital collections as well. It's something that is slowly, slowly changing and happening, but it's still something that is how do you acquire a digital collection for the state collection? You know, Victoria, for example, there's change happening, but it's like still a process where a lot of people are not sure what to do. I mean, that's why do you um, find because of the pandemic, there's been um, real discussions happening about, about digital so. collections? I've noticed like just in my time in the sector myself that it, in the last, say, five years that there has been real conversations like, we need to move into this space, but now I think it's become more urgent, you know, in the yeah. last few years. Yeah, um, it was funny, you know, before the pandemic, I was reading a lot of theoretical material about, well, you know, can we have a digital museum? How does this work? You know, and then, well, the pandemic hits and it's like, well, we're here now. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's right. um, this is reality. <laughs> that's right. It's forcing the hand of, you know, we, we need to move with the times. Otherwise, you know, especially when you're stuck in a lockdown and you think, your visitors' experiences are, are through your online experiences. So if they're online collections or access or programs, so it, it kind of makes sense to have those, you know, like perhaps digital exhibitions and virtual, you know, tours. Absolutely. Spaces. So, yeah. Yeah, and, so, and I just, yeah. you know, it makes me think now that, you know, um, with the Cardi events, you know, it, my good friends, you know, working in the sector are saying, you've got to come to these Cardi events. They're amazing. Um. um you know I was hearing really great things and at the time I just had a child night times were were just not an option for me you know um, I found it really hard to get out and and just do stuff like that and it's really funny and telling that you know now that we're in this position where we have to kind of communicate online is when I finally kind of get to be a part of this with you which is really funny (laughs) Uh, you know I'm I'm hearing about people with you know various diverse disabilities who are are kind of talking about well now they're feeling more engaged with museum content as well wow that's great to hear that is so good to hear actually and that that has been probably one positive thing over the last couple of years is the fact of providing more access you know online to people that are in regional areas or overseas or people that can't reach you know can't physically make it into these spaces these glam spaces but making it more accessible online for everyone I think you know and freely available I think that's a good thing as well like it's been a a huge change I guess a a positive change I think yeah um yeah big big learning curve definitely I mean as you pointed out when we spoke last time um you know you sort of said well maybe it doesn't have to be this either or kind of question you know it doesn't have to be online or purely digital or purely physical you know um I thought that was a really good point you made. You know, we can maybe work towards a kind of a hybrid. Yeah, I, I like that idea because I think I think now, you know, once we do perhaps come out of this, you know, at some point and we're back into physical spaces, we just have to remember what we've learnt in the last two years and realise mm. that people still want these experiences and if they can't make it in, like the other thing we're going to notice too is that, you know, not everyone's going to feel safe to go into physical spaces straight away. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing. So I guess yeah, hybrid events absolutely. make a hundred percent, you know, you know, it makes sense. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, 
there's an emotional cost, a psychological cost to what we've all been through. You know, um, I'm hoping we can learn from it and not just have this expectation that we're all back to the way we were. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I hope so too. I think we can't just yeah. forget what we've gone through. We need to learn from no. it and grow. That's something that I'm really interested to in the fact that you've got a really interesting background in, you know, poetry, film, cultural studies as a writer yourself. And you've written a book, The Monkey's Mask, Film, Poetry and the Female Voice, which was published in 2012. You've got a really interesting background there. Like I'm assuming like, and this is probably everything, everyone that I speak to that works in glam has a really interesting origin story, which I always find fascinating. It's such a great thing about our sector. We've got such a variety of, you know, people with lots of different viewpoints and and expertise. Do you think it's really helped you kind of on this journey, ending up, you know, working in the cultural heritage sort of sector, working with museum collections? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm meeting a lot of people in the museum sector who, you know, um, like me, have, you know, a film background or um, heaps of musicians, so many musicians. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, people people who like to think, you know, you don't always find that. <laughs> so yeah. People yeah, who like to think, they're my favourite people. <laughs> I feel at home here. Uh, it's taken me a while to get to this place. Now that I'm working in museums, I think, oh, okay, that makes complete sense. So of course I'd end up here, you know. But I think that's the case for a lot of people working in our sector. But, yeah, I, for me it began... You know, I remember really early on when the teacher told us to write stories, I had a go at it and thought, oh, here we go. This is, mm-hmm. okay, I found the juice here. This is what what I need to be doing. So everything I've done, I guess, revolves around that in a way, uh, writing stories. Uh, writing is when I feel most at home in the world, absolutely. And then when I finished school, I didn't have a great time in school. I felt like the teachers just really were quite kind of condescending and believed in rules and all that boring stuff <laughs> so you know it, it didn't really um, inspire me until late high school we were offered literary studies and um and drama and so teachers in that in those fields were kind of real thinkers and I felt like my brain woke up because they asked us what we thought you know it was actually a conversation <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah uh so hopefully schools are changing Hmm. hopefully yeah (laughs) and then um of course I studied arts at uni I was fortunate enough to be able to do that and really just got a and I don't know that this happens now with the way things are but I really just got a really well-rounded kind of arts education you know and was lucky enough to be taught by these incredible teachers really passionate about teaching you know really really lucky to be there at the time and a really good university community like we had major bands you know playing at our uni and yeah. it was a really good time to be there I'm talking like 97 ish yeah. um yeah that sounds like and, my, my experience too I had some great uni experiences yeah definitely like it was like leaving and I, I also had a horrible high school experience not just because of the rules but just probably a lot to do with fellow students and bullies and things, uh, things like that but I was so glad, the worst. Know, it's the worst and I felt <laughs> strange and weird and and I feel like oh, all, the, all the people I work, talk to in glam I think have have it's sort of a universal thing that they also had similar mm. experiences it seems um so yeah but I, like uni was like an awakening it was like oh my god oh. this is what the world can be when you can have conversations and ask questions and people <laughs> you know what I mean like amazing yes it was amazing. yes so yeah, definitely. Oh. 
Absolutely. I, I think it's great that, and it's probably inevitable, like you said, that you end up in the museum world because of all of those experiences. It's sort of, it's like a natural progression, I think. Um, Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I'm so excited, Rebecca. You were saying that um, before that you would like to share some of your poetry. Um, sure. Do you feel sure. ready to now? Because I can't wait to hear it. I'm yeah, really excited. Um, yeah, works in progress, which will hopefully end up in the mother archive. So hopefully we will all see it online in this amazing archive. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of been reflecting on objects that are important to me, my experiences of mothering. And so initially in the early days of mothering, I was reflecting about that really scary time when I brought my daughter back from the hospital. And, you know, look, I can barely remember it now. So I'm glad I wrote something about it. Here's what I wrote about this object, a nightlight. A hallmark of early parenting for me was nighttime. In many ways, it felt like this was when the work began. My daughter slept in the day, but at night she woke endlessly, it seemed, for milk. It was in the half dark that we got to know each other when she gave me her first smile when she saw me. We called it glow face because we didn't know what it was. Half unicorn, half dog, it glowed, guiding us from room to room, from couch to breast to bed and back to couch again. Emanating a dull, ever-switching colour, glow face, a name reflective of our inability to articulate in the trenches of sleep, wake, caring, had its own personality, its own aura. In the dim light, a lullaby is half sung, a baby monitor gurgles, the sound of her breath pulses in the dark. And this was inspired by uh, a writer who actually did do a, a history of motherhood in, in the UK, kind of a, a very creative approach to it. And she talks about how nighttime mothering is one of the key aspects of mothering, and that's been neglected in history. And she says, in bed, so many hours of each 24 and wake for so many of those hours. I suspect that the middle of the night is maternity's most concealed past, hard to fathom, yet perhaps the most important to a person's mothering. Another object, if, you, if you'd like me to, to yeah, read another. I, I, um, I'm sorry, Rebecca, I'm just sitting here loving what you're saying. It's beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. I, I feel most at home when I when I read um, my prose is something about just reading that, that I feel most at home with. Another object that, that was important to me was the pram, the pram that I had. And this piece is called I Should Have Named Her because I really should have named her. Mm -hmm. And we... We got rid of her. We thought we didn't need her anymore. And I don't even have a photograph of her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the wheels are greased. <laughs> she is. She is. I had to write about her. The wheels are greased, but she is heavy. The handles are thick, marked by fingers who've dug in before mine, showing me where, where to grip when I need to. They are looped by a strap that I can slip over my wrist, and I do for at least the first few months, just in case. I grow to love her, my trusted friend in a frightening world because I know in the worst case scenario, if she falls and she could, she will fall on her side and my baby will be cocooned in her bassinet. And that is protected, secured with bolts, screws and padding. We found her in an op shop, used but in good shape. As we left with our newfound treasure, we lost grip and she fell down the stairs onto the concrete below. We heard the gasp of a couple walking by, thinking they'd witnessed the unthinkable. Within a second, we all smiled and laughter broke through. Nope, she's still in my belly. Oh, oh, you know what you just evoked to me then? The idea of, you know, the scary idea of seeing a pram, you know, fall or go onto a road. Mm. Like, you know how it, 
you know that moment I think there's been it has happened in a few films I'm trying to think of an example where you know a pram's gone out onto the road and then a car has hit it and then you know you realize afterwards no it's not a pram with a baby it's like a pram filled with you know cans like for example or you know yeah, um, yeah. nothing else like it's yeah. not actually been used as a pram at the time but oh god mm. everyone just got mm. that gasp that you think oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> no very nightmarish <laughs> it is it is but like I I love that that's you know part of your practice is kind of the creative aspect to it as well um because I think you can evoke like the emotions that you might feel as a mum or a soon-to-be mum just in in a creative way that sometimes you you know it's difficult to, to do in other ways so you know like absolutely you yeah know I mean? so having an object like you've given that object so much more meaning by sharing an experience and doing that through words fantastic like you know I think even if you had a photo of the the pram you couldn't evoke it more than the words that you've created so I know what you mean a pram is just a pram when you sort yeah. of <laughs> yeah that's right yeah that's yeah. an interesting thing like you know the material aspect of um, mm. objects you know don't have meaning until they have the stories connected to them and that's something that's universal I think in, in museums unless you know it's like when you go to a museum and you like for example you go into an in an art gallery and you could look at the artwork and not read anything about it not know who the artist is or read anything but still have an emotional response but and I guess you can do that in museums but it really the experience is enhanced by a story or, you know, something else that goes with that object, I think. I feel that, um, yeah. I, I feel that I need context. I know a lot of people who are really impressed with objects because, you know, they, they have significance because they're incredibly old and play an important role in history. But, yeah, um, to me, context is so important. Yeah, definitely. It sort of it adds so much more. And, it's and like, I guess for me in my job as an archivist, like one thing I really love about my job is connecting archival material to each other like within the collection and, and sharing those stories and making it more kind of come to life by doing a writing a blog or something to kind of and showing my emotional response to it as well and maybe others the people that I've worked with with that object I find oh it, I love that I love yeah. that you can you can um, include your own emotional response that's really interesting that you do that I think mm. it's, it's really interesting too because I think not everyone wants that but it's something that, right. that, but I think that there's more appetite for that in recent times than mm. there might have been. I think it's because our sector is growing and changing and the people that are getting attracted to it as well are different, you know, like it's just a whole different cohort of people working in the sector now than it probably was even mm. five or 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. So, you know, I'm excited. Like I'm excited by the work that you're doing. It's really, you know, fascinating. So how is that? kind of collection going to come together is it going to be how is it going to be shared is it going to be an online experience on a website or yeah well at the moment um I guess my main platform is the website for the Museum of Motherhood they have a blog which is basically a record of their um, residencies so I'm I'm kind of I'm using that platform to on a monthly basis contribute work that I've been doing about what I'm calling maternal objects so objects of motherhood uh, so that, that's where it's at at the moment, but ultimately, you know, perhaps with my, my book launch with for my upcoming book, I might work in an exhibition to actually show a lot of this work to kind of illustrate a lot of the theories I'm talking about in the book. So is the book coming out, is it this year or next year? Or? Yeah, so uh, looking at, uh, I think 
probably the end of 2022, start of 2023. Yeah, so it's um, due to be published by Routledge and it's looking at the representation of mothers in museums. So, yeah, that's, um, you know, along with the the thesis, that's the, the kind of main outcome of the research I'm doing. I can't wait to read your book. Honestly, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be an interesting and wonderful experience. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for talking with me today. I, I could honestly talk to you endlessly. <laughs> Hopefully. We could, totally. we could. <laughs> I really could. And we'll, do a, we'll do a part two. <laughs> yeah, let's do a part two. And hopefully yeah. once we're back on, you know, back into spaces and things, hopefully we can catch up and have a have a coffee and a chat. I'd really oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. That was Rebecca Louise Clark, who is a writer and curator of the Mother, what's it called? The Mother Archive Project still or the Mother? Uh, the Mother Stuff we're going with at the moment. Mother, mother Stuff. stuff. <laughs> Beautiful. So we'll yeah. know to look out for that Mother Stuff. And as... Um, Rebecca is a Monash University PhD candidate and research associate at Museums Victoria. And you can follow Rebecca on Twitter at Clark underscore R Louise. And thanks for listening. You can find New Cardigan on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or at our website, which is www.newcardigan.org. Become a member, join the newsletter and look out for future events when we can get back together in person. And remember, folks, JFDI. JFDI.